We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy post-election day here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. And this reminds me, when I used to do sports talk radio, the f- most fun and busiest day of the year, the Monday after the NCAA tournament brackets came out. Right? I mean, you, and, and as busy as you were on Selection Sunday waiting for the brackets, the next day, pouring over every matchup and all the teams and who did and didn't get in was exhausting. And that's what today has been a little bit like. And we're going to get into all of that here this evening. Uh, but we want to let you know, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Before we get into all of that, and Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review will join us next hour to go inside politics. We've got a Worldview Wednesday. Kim is here with us again tonight. So you know it's always serious when Kim is here, right? So it's going to be a serious, <laughs> serious. show. So we're going to go do some Worldview Wednesday and sort of look ahead. What now for the conservative movement after last night's results? Uh, my old buddy Wayne Allen Root, even though for the last several months we have been largely communicating with wayward glances, gritted teeth, and sparsely worded emails. <laughs> All right? But I am a man of my word. Wayne gets scoreboard, so he's going to be on our show later in this hour to crow. 
deservedly so. He was one of Trump's very first supporters. But um, before we get into all that, I want to I just talk personally for a moment. The, the last couple of elections, 2012 and 2014, my predictions were spot on. This time they were not. But you, the American people, you have spoken. And you have done so in a way that makes fools of those of us that relied on these data models that have proven right so many times before. I was one of the first people wooed by Donald Trump when he originally started considering a presidential run several years ago because of where I live in Iowa. It's one of the reasons why he endorsed my book, Rules for Patriots, for example. He was on our show numerous times. And yet I ended up going from seriously considering joining his team last summer to becoming hashtag never Trump because I didn't believe he had the character to be in the White House. But you, the American people, have spoken and you have decided that the desire for change even with someone that a lot of you don't necessarily like or trust, outweighed continuing on this progressive path to perdition we are currently on. So I will now defer to you. Believe me, I'm not weeping here today for the Clintons. In fact, I'm going out of my way not to rejoice in their sorrow. You know, the scriptures are very clear to enjoy justice, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a mighty stream. Also tells us, though, not to take joy in the lament of our enemy. I just want to give myself credit. I'm gonna, uh, Trump's already influencing me. I want to give myself credit for the immense amount of restraint, humility I have shown the last 24 hours. Hey, hey everybody, look at you for an example of humility. <laughs> not, I sound like my teenage daughter. What do you mean? I'm the most humble person I know. Uh, I, I, I'm giving myself credit for the amount of restraint, humility I have shown, not to just be gleeful watching the, the, the crying Jordan memes of the left here today. All right? So I'm... I weep not for the Clintons and their their corruption, their chicanery that has a lot of people, even people that voted for them, believing they're criminals. As far as I'm concerned, good riddance. And even though I could not morally bring myself to pull the lever for Trump, I am glad Hillary Clinton is not making life and death decisions on behalf of my children and I. And this election is a total repudiation of progressivism, and that is the immoral ideology I've dedicated my entire career to opposing and will continue to. I mean, look at the Catholic vote. Trump won it by seven points. That's the largest margin anyone's won the Catholic vote since Reagan in 84 for the Republicans. Nine. Hashtag don't sue nuns. All right? What, 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 what happened last night is that the left has taken the rubber band of our constitutional republic and they have stretched it. And they have stretched it. And they have stretched it to its almost breaking point, And the rubber band snapped back. Now Republicans, as a result, have total control of Washington. Let's pray. They do more for the cause of liberty with it this time than they did during all the George W. Bush years. But let us not forget, the country did not just say no to Clinton last night. They, they also decided to place Trump in the Oval Office. And for the first time since Eisenhower rode a wave of post-World War II celebrity to victory, someone who's never held elected office has been elected to the nation's highest office. Now, Trump and Ike could not be more different. But the last time we traveled this road, it led to a Pax Americana a lot of people fondly recall. 
So we can only hope and pray history repeats itself despite lingering concerns that remain about Trump's character, temperament, etc. But again, though, I will now defer to you. I want you to be right, and I want to, again, be wrong. I am a dad. I'm a patriot. I'm in my job is advancing our values. So I'm, I'm vested in what I think is best for the country. By the way, it doesn't mean what I think all the time is what's best for the country or that I'm always right. But that is my motivation. And I think right now what is best for the country is people like me to put our personal feelings aside now and respect the will of the people. I think we should do our best to help create an environment that makes President Trump successful which would be a rising tide that lifts all boats for Americans, whether they voted for him or not. Now, that doesn't mean we should set our principles aside. Uh, my friend Matt Barber over at Liberty, he started out hashtag never Trump, ended up deciding that the need to defeat Hillary was just too great. And he, I thought he said it best on, on Twitter last night, quote, President Trump will both delight and disappoint us. Either way, he's going to need a lot of prayer. Amen to that. Going forward for our movement, I believe the best way to have more delights than disappointments is to maintain our conservative principles rather than redefining them for any politician. Therefore, I think we should praise President Trump enthusiastically when he does what is right, but we should oppose him just as passionately if and when he does what is wrong. Especially because I believe men like Donald Trump respect strength a lot more than shills. In other words, this is what we didn't do in the George W. Bush years. Not until the end, the last year or two when he tried amnesty and putting Harriet Myers in the Supreme Court. The base revolted against that, but by then, the die was cast. And, and there was nothing we could do to avoid what ended up happening in the 06 and the 08 elections. But that also means having the right perspective. For example, on MSNBC's election coverage last night, James Carville predicted, and I quote, Obamacare is gone, Dodd-Frank is gone. Um, now, those would be, if you pardon the expression, huge victories for our side. If President Trump were to follow through on those things, those are major wins. And I think, therefore, we would be wise to grant President Trump some leeway elsewhere on issues of less consequence, like, let's say, an economic stimulus program or something like that. I said before that um, while I trembled at the prospect of Hillary Clinton externally bringing the full coercive power of government against our values, I was internally concerned that we would be pressured and feel compelled to conform our values to him if he won. Many of you told me to have more faith in our movement, that I was overly worried about this. Again, I, I will now defer to you. And that is why... I am wiping the slate clean from this time forward. I'm going to give Trump every chance to be the leader the country desperately needs. Because I know this, my internal concerns are less likely to materialize if we stand together. Thus, I'm going to hope that all the hopes you've placed in President Trump are going to be realized. So I'm going to stand up with you. I know some of you be so mad at me you don't want me to, so be it. I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's the right thing to do. In case you guys haven't figured this out by now on this show, I don't really do things on the basis of public opinion. <laughs> For, maybe I should listen to it all the more. I am in the broadcasting business after all, but it's not my motivation. But I anticipate if Trump should unfortunately go astray, as so many previous would-be champions have before him, that you will then stand with me. 
you have sent a powerful message to the nation's elites. Put it this way, PBS contacted me about coming on today to talk about what did they miss. You have their attention. You have their attention. And it is now they who must defer to you also. This is an amazing opportunity that you have been empowered with. Don't blow it. Go big or go home. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. So I've shared some of my personal thoughts. I want to go around the room here tonight. Anybody else have any personal thoughts that they'd like to share? And any reaction to uh, the thoughts, that, my own thoughts that uh, I just put out there as well? Aaron? Well, I think um, I, I think I can speak. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I can speak for, I, I think, um, at least two other people in this room that uh, struck by the, uh, the humility that uh, came out in your comments in, in the first segment because... Um, it's you know it's it's no secret that um, this show has um, been a warning uh, for all this time throughout this general election and back into the primaries about not selling your soul to a politician. But now that these results are what they are, it's um, it really is a good time to uh, step back and and see. Hey, this is an opportunity. And it's because of that word that you used, opportunity, towards the end of last segment, that I actually have a little bit of hope um, today. At least I have some hope that wasn't there 24 hours ago, because I have hope that there's an actual actual opportunity to do something. Not that I have hope that something is actually going to get done, but there's hope in an opportunity, which I didn't think we were going to have 24 hours ago. And so that is, that's where I am right now. And I would add another thing. I go to the Todd Erzin School of Status Quo, which is what, Todd? It's the status quo until it isn't anymore. Yeah, and last night, it, for the most part, wasn't anymore. And so I've been calling for a long time um, and made no secret about it that I think the GOP uh, needs to die but um, at this point, uh, because the status quo was broken in some ways last night, and there is this opportunity with the, the Congress still in control by Republicans and a Republican president, um, there is this opportunity maybe one more time to work within this um, Republican Party and this uh, system as we know it right now. But it could be going away very quickly. It, it'll be interesting, Aaron, when we have Daniel Horowitz on next hour, because you know he's been sounding the clarion call of the need for a third mm-hmm, party yeah. all year on this show and in what he's been writing for us at Conservative Review. And 
and and and you've got some tinge of optimism after last night about this. I mean, you wanted this thing to be a vast wasteland 36 hours ago, yep. all right? So you were you were rooting, you were egging on the zombie apocalypse hoping to come up with the serum that would launch it actually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Daniel's been right there with you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if he's got some similar um, uh, enthusiasm pangs like you're experiencing at the moment. Yeah, and uh, I, I would also add, as far as this um, uh, you know, hope that I'm expressing in the GOP, you know, if, if nothing gets done, um, if nothing gets done quickly, I would say, if there's no real um, headwinds or something that we can det- detect very soon, that there is going to be drastic change. Uh, in Washington, then I, I think a lot of people like me will lose hope very quickly and start the calls for a third party again. Kim? But, well, I think we've been betrayed so often. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I've always been kind of the burn it down as well. And um, I won't use the term hope, but I will use the term leverage. I think now is the I time. I like that term, yeah. Right? Now is the time that we're going to look at this, you know, the, you talk about huge opportunity, whatever. This is leverage. This is no more excuses. Show me what you think conservatives, conservatives want. Um, how are you actually going to govern? This is going to be delicious. And we'll be there, right there supporting you. I already said, look, um, you know, I'll see what Donald Trump does. Let me see what they do and in the presidency and, the, you know, in the Congress. I'm, I'm going to use that leverage, I tell you. One of the biggers, biggest losers in all this is the progressive press, and that is glorious yes. in my eyes. I think Preach. people, I think Todd, people are underestimating how badly yes. they lost. Yes. They, they think it's just well, the punt. No, it's worse than that. What's happened is they've now done to him what we did to the, what we did to Bill Clinton. He's judgment proof, so that this anything he might do later on that might be legitimately bad, they have cried wolf. They've yes. gone hysterical, yes. so over the top now that. Uh, there's there's at least 40% of the American people that are going to roll their eyes and, and, and ignore it and say, we've heard it all before. We did this with Bill Clinton back in the day. So that when Lewinsky came along and he's on tape lying under oath to a federal grand jury and we're trying to impeach him, there was at least 40% of the American people that were like, okay, but but you mean you, you were the guys that put out the videos that he kills his security? You know what I'm saying? We mm-hmm. We were so over the top. That we insulated him from from serious criticism and contemptibility. They just did this to Donald Trump, don't you think? I oh, mean, it will, it will take even this Trump University lawsuit that's going to go forward later on in this month. I mean, a lot of the American people are just going to say, "Well, bias. You guys can't. You still, you, you still, you still can't. You still don't want to listen to us." They have been, they've been the best get out the vote effort he has had, I believe. Yeah, and I spent. A good 12 years at the Des Moines Register, honestly trying to convince them of that, that they were killing their own product because of their smugness and their self-righteousness and their lack of uh, essential fairness as reporters. And they didn't listen to me and they mocked me. And it was to God has taken care of me because I'm sitting here on the Steve Steve Day show now. But for 12 years, it was to the detriment of my career. These folks need to get it and get it now. Otherwise, they just won't have jobs. They have become a joke and a laughing stock. So that's important for me to point out. On the other hand, the shine, uh, the surprise of it has rubbed off a little bit. I feel uh, in Donald Trump's win that we have basically drafted uh, Johnny Manziel. That's our quarterback right now. We saw how that turned out, folks. Well, it depends. Which Johnny Manziel? 
Well, like the one that won the Heisman Trophy at Texas A and M and beat Alabama in their own crib. See, that's the thing. Yes. I, I think the Johnny Manziel reference is exactly correct. I just don't think we know which Johnny Manziel. I mean, I, I can't tell you, and I've mentioned this before, David Limbaugh. How many of my friends that adamantly disagreed with me on this would even openly tell me we don't know what he would do? You know, so I I hope I'm proven wrong again. I'm going to do whatever I can do which I don't really think is all that much, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to be proven wrong again. I, I, because I agree. I think there is a Johnny Manziel factor. There's no question about that. But, the, but we don't know if this is the Johnny Manziel Aaron that played for the Cleveland Browns or for the Texas A&M Aggies. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see um, this is uh, you know Johnny or the Donald Trump that we saw during the campaign and during the primaries with the, the Johnny Manziel who was still trying to prove himself, was still trying to uh, prove himself for the next level, and now he's made it to the next level. You give Johnny Manziel a ton of cash, look, so look what happens to him. You give Donald Trump a ton of power. Well, we'll see what happens to him. Kim, what do you think? I don't know Johnny Manziel. <laughs> I'm not talking about Manziel. I'm talking about what Aaron just said. No, yeah. <laughs> You're right, Aaron. Okay. There you go. I, well, I, uh, maybe I can flush that out a little bit more. It's just <laughs> that it seemed like once, uh, I mean, Johnny Manziel, as you alluded to, Steve, he was fantastic. He was magical in his college days. And then you give him a lot of cash, a lot of cash that he didn't have before he uh, got to the NFL. And look where he is now. I mean, he, he's been in and out of rehab. He's, he's just fallen apart. The same thing, I think, might uh, be able to be said about Donald Trump. I'm not saying that it is for sure right now. Hey, well, but now, well, that he gets, the, now that he has a lot of power, we'll see what he does with that. Here's the lesson of history. 90% of the time when you give morally flawed men power, it exacerbates their weaknesses. Yeah. 10% of the time, they rise to the occasion and become better than they are. Let's pray it's the other 10% of the time. Listening to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. Well, he's a good friend of mine, although the last several months, it's it's been largely communication via wayward, glass, uh, wayward glances, maybe some gritted teeth, a uh, an email here or there, but uh, he is back on the show here tonight because he gets to say, see, I told you so, and I am nothing if not a man of my word, and I will own it in defeat my old buddy Wayne Allen Root, the former Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate, uh, Tea Party activist, Donald Trump supporter, odds maker, is here on the show with us. Wayne, it is good to have you back, brother. How are you? Hey, Wayne. Hey, Steve. How are you? And uh, listen, by the way, how many times did I say on email I disagreed with any decision not to support Trump, but it doesn't matter. I'll always love you, and you and I will always be friends. That will nothing will ever tear us apart. But, you know, there were some moments where you didn't understand me and I didn't understand you. But friendship lasts forever, and it lasts far beyond decisions like that. So you and I are buddies forever. Amen, brother. Well, 
Last night, well, let me, listen, I'm not going to ask a question that frames any sort of argument. I'm going to give you the floor. All right. What happened last night, Wayne? Well, you know, I think there are four things that I've been predicting. In the whole country, I will, I will brag just a little bit. I, I do have one Donald Trump-like quality. I do brag a little bit when I'm right. And it was Muhammad Ali who said, you know, if, if you're right, then it ain't bragging. If you really manage to back it up and make it happen, then it ain't bragging. And so, you know, I was the first guy in the country to see the value of Donald Trump as a candidate. Uh, June 16th, 2015, I wrote my first endorsement of Donald Trump at Fox News, and I said Donald Trump is Bullworth. And that was a 1998 movie about Warren, Warren Beatty yep. as a U.S. Senate candidate yep. who goes insane, literally is crazy, and wants to kill himself. And so he doesn't care what he says anymore, so he just tells the truth, the raw truth, no matter how offensive it is, no matter whose feelings it hurts, he just tells black voters in that movie that, you know what? I'm around because it's election time. You and I both know after I get elected, I'll never see you again. And people are so shocked and so offended and so put off for like five minutes. And then they realize, first time a politician ever told me the truth. And they start to like him. And by the end of the movie, he not only wins election as senator, he's the front runner for president of the United States. And I said, Donald Trump is our bulwark. And I think I was right. And I think it all worked. Of course he offended people. And of course he offended a lot of Christians. He's very coarse. He can be very vulgar. He can be very rude. He's, very, he's a womanizer. I understand all those negatives. But I think God really sent us the right guy at the right time because we needed coarse and vulgar to fight the Clintons, the most disgusting people that have ever lived in the history of politics. We had to, and, and the Obamas too, to fight people that vicious. We didn't need a minister. We needed someone that vicious. And God is funny. Sometimes if you look at the Bible, you know, he sends vicious people to conduct his business. And if you look at World War II, he didn't send a minister uh, in George Patton. He didn't send a minister in Douglas MacArthur. They were vicious war leaders, and they wanted to kill people, and they saved the world from Nazis. So, you know, as a, as a Jew turned evangelical Christian, I'm glad they saved the world from Nazis. And in Israel and America both, and the American Jews owe our lives to some vicious people, and that's good sometimes. So I thought it was Bullworth. I thought it would work. I thought someone like that would be good for the GOP because it would break through to working class white voters. And just to show you, I'm not making this stuff up today. As you know, I'm no Johnny come lately. I wrote the book, Angry White Male. And it's the exact outcome of what happened. Everything in it is what, what Trump has become, what he was, what he became, and how he won the election with working class, middle class white voters. If I could just change one thing, I'd go back in time and I'd change the name from angry white male to angry white voter. Because it turned out white women voted very strongly for Donald Trump. White women voted 56% for Donald Trump. But if you took out all the liberal feminists on the left and you know the left coast and the east coast, uh, I think you actually would find probably 70% of white women voted for Trump. And then if you narrowed it to white married women, I'll bet you it was 85% to Trump. And if you narrowed it to white evangelical married women, I'll bet it was 100% for, for Donald Trump. So women came through for Donald Trump. So it shouldn't have been angry white male. My book should be angry white voter. It just it was a revolution of the biggest white vote in history because we're sick of getting stepped on, I think, and sick of being told the only people you can be prejudiced and racist about in this society and in the media is white people. You know, you could say whatever you want about them, but God forbid you ever say something considered racist towards some minority, your life's over. But white people, nobody cares. So I, I said that from day one. I think it came true. I said this was Brexit. I think this was uh, our Brexit. I called it Trexit for Trump's Brexit. Um, and I think that uh, my last two compelling arguments came true. He is the whisper candidate. I've said that for a year now. Everywhere I go, 
forget the polls. They don't matter because everyone is whispering in my ear, I'm with you. And I said on the other side, Hillary is the ghost candidate. Nobody likes her. She can claim in polls she's in the lead. But that will swing us, Florida and North Carolina. And I really think when you see the final results, I was right on the money. Wayne Allen Root is our guest. He was one of uh, Donald Trump's very first supporters. And uh, he's here to call scoreboard tonight on the Steve Day Show. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your beliefs. And there are progressive radical liberal phone companies spending tens of millions of dollars to remove conservative leaders from office and fight for liberal social change. So what's a patriot like you to do? Well, you can start by calling my friends at Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. You get the same quality service, competitive prices, and you get to help causes you believe in. Call Patriot Mobile right now at 800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. Reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Dace. Back here with Wayne Allen Roots. Good friend of mine, although the last few weeks, it's, or a few months I should say, it's, it's been a little frosty at times because he was one of Donald Trump's earliest supporters. But he is back here to call scoreboard because after last night, he certainly has it. Two more things I want to ask you about, Wayne. Along the lines of what you what you're, what you described, we talked about this on an election night show last night, but the reality is the polls really weren't that wrong. Uh, the national polls had her narrowly ahead. She's going to win the popular vote. They had the state polls all within the MOE. Most of them were. It's just the forecasting models, you know, the, the Silvers, those people, they were the ones that were wrong, but the polling really wasn't that wrong. Now, the one state it was way off was Ohio. They had Trump winning that state by three. He won by 11. And we talked about this last night. The last two rallies Hillary Clinton had in that state, one had LeBron James, the king of all American sport. And whether, whether you agree this politics or not, he's a great athlete. He's beloved. He's dignified. He gave a very impassioned speech for her in one event. But the other event included Jay-Z. Dropping N-bombs, F-bombs, those sorts of things. And we wondered here on the show, just as Trump did a great job getting out the new Hispanic vote for the Democrats in places like where you live, in Nevada, we were wondering here on our show, is if Jay-Z helped turn out five to six points of Trump voters in Ohio with that with, with whatever that spectacle was, that disgusting display he put on at a presidential event last week, is that the sort of backlash, rubber band snapping back vote that you're describing? Yeah, no, no, I always thought that was disgusting and low class and would offend many, many, many Christians. Not that Donald Trump's locker room talk didn't offend many, many Christians, and I got it. Believe me, I understood it. But again, I, you know, I know people will say I'm making an excuse, but Steve, if you and I had a conversation alone in the car 11 years ago, 
I don't think when I'm running for office that should enter into play. What, what a JDZ says in public, with cameras rolling, knowing it's in public, and Hillary standing there not walking away from the N-word and the F-word, that's much more important to me than what I say to you in a private conversation between two men 11 years ago. I don't think any of us would want to have our private conversations recorded and played back 11 years later. I don't even want to re- rehash this anymore, but I just never understood why anyone would make that an important thing in their decision. It just a private conversation is none of your business. And men sometimes say things. I know it wouldn't sound Christian, but men try and you know prove who's got the bigger you know what. And that's Donald Trump. That's the way he is. We all know that's the way he is. He was just having a conversation with Billy Bush, having fun. He's an entertainer, and he was trying to prove who's the bigger man and who's the big shot. So I just never cared about that. But hearing someone use the f bomb and the n bomb in public, knowing it's in public and the cameras are rolling, and Hillary standing there, to me, was much more insulting to Christians than that. At least Donald's honest. Look, we know he's a womanizer, but he was honest. That's what he is. And so it never bothered me. It really didn't. Getting back to, you know, the the popular vote versus the electoral vote in the states, all I ever said was, and this is a quote, I mean, I said this a hundred times, and I did it the whole three hours on my radio show yesterday when I had no idea of any of the results. I said what no one in the in the expert community, so-called experts, and the pollsters seems to understand is, forget all the polls, throw them out. The only thing that matters is Ohio, Florida, and North Carolina. If Donald takes those three early in the evening, I just don't see much of a path for Hillary to win the presidency. And why they're telling me that Donald's absolutely, you know, he was a six-to-one underdog in England. And they're saying he has no chance to win when every poll showed he was winning by three, like you said, in Ohio. Forget that he won by 11. He was winning by three in Ohio. He was dead tied or down one in Florida. And he was always down one, tied, or up one or two in North Carolina. So if he pulls out all three, it's over for Hillary. There's no real serious path for her. Now, if he loses one of those three, he's the one with no serious path. Mm-hmm. If he loses two or three, the election's over. All right, so now I'm a, I called I, it. Those I, are the three that determine the election. Now you throw in the Michigans and the Pennsylvanias, the door is shut and he wins by a mile electorally. But I'm just saying those three, and how anyone didn't notice that is beyond me. Even the polls that I thought were prejudiced and wrong still showed he had a great chance to win Ohio, Florida, and North Carolina. At that point, her map becomes really thin. So I just don't get why no one noticed that was happening. All right, I've got less than a minute here, and this is probably the most important question of them all, but we're just about out of time. But now he's got to govern. Yes. All right, so there's a, there, here. I think this is a temptation. This may sound contrarian coming from me. But I think the things that, that I, that I, about his rough edges that I thought were going to hurt him as a candidate and turn people like me off are actually now what is required of him now that he has this office. The temptation many men have when they get to a position of power is to stop doing the things that got them where they're at. That this is actually, I'm actually kind of counting on his ego now. This is not the time to get wobbly, George. This is not the time to moderate. This is not the time to work with these party bosses you don't owe anything to. This is the time for him to do some big things. Will he follow through, Wayne? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm about to write the following commentary. I believe his first act should be to name Ted Cruz to the Supreme Court of the United States. I don't know how you feel about that, but that, I believe, would be a wonderful move. Can you imagine what that would do to the liberal community? Can you imagine what the liberals on the Supreme Court would have a heart attack? Just like Donald Trump's winning was a heart attack to every liberal in America, Mm -hmm. ruined their night. How about Ted Cruz on the Supreme Court? 
How about an immediate executive order to kill Obamacare, whatever parts of it can be killed by executive order? How about immediately saying the $500 million Hillary is going to use to bring in 400,000 Muslims to America? Immediately take that $400 million and use it to rebuild America's inner cities. Now, this one's a little compromise and be nice to your enemies and win over Hispanics and blacks and show them that we are an inclusive party and we're going to take that $400 million. Why spend it on foreign Muslims who are going to provide danger to America and purposely bring them here when you can help American blacks in inner cities and American Hispanics in inner cities? Do all that and then build the wall like you said you're going to do, lower taxes, cut regulations, and he becomes one of the great presidents in American history. And those are all easy things to do, everything I just said. And how do you build the wall? Corporate sponsorships, just like a NASCAR race. Put the sign on the wall. This brick is donated by Mobile Exxon. Million dollars here, million dollars there. The wall is built. The American people are happy. Wayne, thank you for joining us. And um, listen, man, you owned it. You were on it from the very beginning, so I wanted to make sure you got the credit that you deserve. So thanks for joining us. I made a big bet in England, by the way, and I took Donald Trump at 6-1, to the biggest bet of my life. So (laughs) what you're telling me is dinner's on you next time I'm out there in Vegas? Next time you're in Vegas, you got it. All right, thank you, Wayne. God bless. Take care. is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created, to give conservatives a chance to put their money where their values are and support a company that we know we can trust to invest our resources into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting and high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. So you'll get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com, that's PatriotMobile.com, or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make the switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. Any reaction to what we heard from Wayne Allen Root? Todd, you look like you have something you want to say. Yeah, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, no, lie to us. Well, yeah, I know you hate that, but I <laughs> I said it in the vein that... It's like when I sh- keep saying, let me ask you a question, and I hate myself when I, I, I do know, that. Yes, I go know. ahead. The, the shine of, of last night and this morning, the the undeniable schadenfreude of uh, enjoying some of the pain of suffering of people who deserve it, was um, brought back to earth a little bit by Wayne, because, listen, just because a lot of people uh, believed in the promises of a con man doesn't change the fact that he's a con man and wayne believes on certain levels of return on investment that i just think are myopic as a christian you think he's too optimistic of what's going to oh, happen next good grief i come on i listen seven hillary got seven million fewer voters than obama got four years ago that's the tale of the tape now i'm i i am like you 
I'm going to, I want to be proven wrong on every level about uh, Donald Trump. I want a country that I can pass off to my uh, four daughters and their children. But this is wish casting on his part. Uh, he, he is, he, and I, I really, I, he, there's no way he could have, hindsight is 2020. There's, there's no way he could have called what happened here. Yeah, the uh, I would agree with that, and the uh, the optimism this morning or this uh, that was this morning and all throughout today and even this evening, uh, the optimism is as uh, cotton candy and about as substantive as cotton candy too. Um, it's it's really nice to think about and talk about, uh, but at the same time, I'm I'm kind of trying to balance between let's give this guy a shot. I mean, there is you can't deny his staying uh, con- in control of Congress or keeping control of Congress and having a Republican pro- president, there's some chance that something good could happen. But I think we have to balance that with the, the way the world is rather than what we would like it to he be. He is incredibly optimistic. The idea that he would, um, that Donald Trump would appoint Ted Cruz, that um, he would use the executive orders to undo whatever he could um, with the Obamacare. Um, He's still Hillary's donor, right? Is that... Well, the story was, hey, he's a businessman. He's just doing what he has to do to have it get into the halls of power. Let's give him a chance. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Let's see what he does. All these people who told us this for months, they they were right when they told us he was going to win. Maybe they'll be right again about what kind of president he is. Let's let him prove himself. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 tonight of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And we go inside politics. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. I'm sure a lot of you watched him on there all night long Facebook Live. How late did you guys go with that thing last night, Daniel? You know, we were supposed to go until midnight. We went until one thirty. Wow. So seven and, seven, ah, seven and a half straight hours. I can't even think straight. I slept about one hour sometime midday, so we pulled an all-nighter. Wow, this has been an unbelievable 24 hours. Were you on the whole time? Pretty much. It, it was the ultimate uh, challenge in multitasking. So give us, because you were busy, I was doing this show, you and I didn't have a chance to talk as any of this was coming in last night in real time, so give us Daniel Horowitz's big picture view of what happened last night, because you're in the prognostication forecasting business as much as I am as a conservative. You were even less optimistic about his chances than I was, if that's even possible. So what happened last night? So so first thing, so we don't have a drive-by situation here, I got to say, I was wrong. You know, I thought he'd get Trump would only get 230 electoral votes. I gave him North North Carolina, but but nothing else. Um, I thought he'd lose the popular vote by about three points. And look, you know, he could very well wind up with with about 300, 
flipping Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania and getting Florida. Now, with that said, I think it is important, and again, not to diminish the enormity of the outcome, but the margin of, of how this thing turned on, on a, on a razor-thin margin, this was really the same margin of error in polling from four years ago. The, the polling had the national race roughly tied with Obama slightly favored, and the national polls and most state polls were off by about three points. But Obama overperformed by three points, so it didn't affect the outcome. Obama did a lot better, and he ran the table – and every state broke for him. The same thing really happened here. Um, Trump overperformed by about three points. He was down by about three points in the polls, and it looks like it's going to be roughly tied. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but I think Hillary will win the popular vote. Yeah, she's going to win the popular vote. And this isn't you know Al Gore winning it by a few hundred thousand and losing the election by four electoral college votes. She's going to win it by more than that, and she's going to lose the electoral college by more than that. Uh, and and I talked about this earlier. The polling actually wasn't that off. I, there's going to be plenty of people that rightfully deserve spankings when this is all over. The polling industry is not one of them. In fact, the national polls were slightly more accurate this time than they were in 2012. On, on a composite, they had Obama winning by one, and he won by almost four. Uh, this time, they had it uh, Hillary winning by three to four, and she's going to win the popular vote by one to two. And if you look at the margin for error, uh, most of these state polls that he won were within the margin or darn close yeah. to it. The one state where he really overperformed was Michigan, where RCP's average had him winning it by three and a half, and he won it by 11. But the polling industry wasn't the issue. The forecasting, like the LA Times poll, really isn't validated in this. I mean, they, they had him winning the popular vote by two or three points. And, I mean, they're going to be wrong outside the margin for error on that. The, what, was, what was really wrong, Daniel, was the forecasting models. Because, and this is some of what you and I do, part of what we do for a living when we're not doing policy. Because what, here's what I think we all did, and, and maybe you'll disagree if, if so, tell me. But I think what we all did is we looked, at this, we looked at this polling and we looked at this map and said, this is going to look a lot like 2012. And what we saw in 2012 was their organization trumped energy on the Republican side, and that's how they made up two or three points in essentially dead-even states. And so I think we were anticipating that, again, especially with her ground game even a greater advantage. They had no, Trump had no ground game in Wisconsin at all, no ground game in, in, in Michigan at all. And and sp so we were the forecast were anticipating that her ground game would make up two points or so on election day, and win like she like Obama did in 2012, where a lot of these states were still close. He just won them all, and therefore it looked like a bigger victory in the electoral college. Except that's not what happened, and that was the big difference. Now the exit polling industry that needs to be tarred, feathered, and Viking funeral. As far as I'm concerned, this is the second election now. In about 15 years, that they have completely, totally screwed up and, and messed with the media coverage heading into the returns. But that's my read on what happened last night. What do you think? Well, look, if I could violate the First Amendment and, and just ban any private companies from dealing with that, I'd, I'd ban early exit polling from being released before the, the returns come out. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I'm pretty much with you. I think – we all made two fundamental mistakes, but but again, it's understandable. There wasn't this massive, undefined, undetected Trump vote, right? To this day, Trump is still underperforming Romney. He got fewer votes. What we kept saying is, yes, he's going to over overperform on um, among the non college educated whites, 
But we didn't understand where he would make up the difference from losing so many college-educated whites and given the minority turnout. That premise wasn't disproven. Um, had the Democrats replicated – forget about the 2008 turnout, but the 2012 turnout, they would have won. Hillary – the real story is the missing 7 million or 6 million Democrat voters that did not turn out that, that's going to be what they write about for the next four years like we wrote about the missing white voters after 2012 that's what that's what they're going to be writing about going forward yep. is, is their, their, their whole not, i mean look at milwaukee for example Forty thousand fewer people voted in milwaukee last night than voted in 2012 she lost that state by about twenty five thousand votes he got i think like forty thousand fewer votes uh, or four, I'm sorry, 400,000 fewer votes in Wisconsin than George W. Bush got in 2004 oh, yeah. and won that state. So that is what they're going to be looking at going forward. And, and, and yes, this, our spin should be, this is a repudiation of progressivism. Their spin is going to be, hey, Obama's approval rating is 56%. And she underperformed him by six. And let's say once they're de- once they're done counting, it's six million instead of seven million. So let's say it's still that's still a massive number. Isn't their spin going to be? Well, I guess you, we should have listened to you guys and not run a potential felon for a candidate. And this is just all Hillary Clinton because you know the Democrats are different than us. You know we like to take our losers and they become professor emeritus. I mean they Luca Brazzi, they're losers. So I mean isn't Hillary Clinton just going to be the worst person ever on MSNBC by this time next year? Look, even if liberalism gets repudiated, they will never throw it over. No doubt. Unlike, no doubt. Unlike our side, that's the first thing. When they win, they say we need to move to the middle. When we lose, they say we, <laughs> we need to move to the middle. That's what they do. Um, the, the Democrats will stick by it. So Hillary, look, she's done. She's beyond done. There, there's no need to keep her on life support. They throw her overboard, and they say, look, had we nominated any average candidate – um, we would have won. And I kept saying, the, the, I, I, yes, you could squeeze out more um, blue-collar white voters from Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, but I didn't see how it's enough to close that margin, and we were right. If they would have replicated the Democrat turnout, the votes were not there. They did not. There was the perfect drop-off in black turnout in the urban areas in those three states that, that got them you know under the threshold and then in florida let's face it you know it was a 1.3 point ball game that was well within not just the margin of error but a lot of polls had trump up about one or two there some had him down one or two some had it tied so you know that was razor thin i always had faith in the activists in north carolina although i think you know the five point margin was better than i thought um so so overall you know, we're sometimes wrong on strategy and horse race, but our principles endure. And one thing this was, for sure, was a repudiation of Obama's agenda. Because how else do you explain Donald Trump with a 60% unfavorability rating, worse than Hillary's, but he won the election? Mm-hmm. So they didn't vote for him. They don't like him. They voted for an outcome. They, this was the only viable outcome to put a stop to this. And this is why, ironically, see, the other side will say he has no mandate. He has a huge mandate to do what what we want to do, to implement conservative policies on immigration, on, on, on health care. He doesn't have a mandate to tweet crazy stuff at 3 a.m. in the morning. Is this, is this a model replicatable in the future? Is this a Reagan 1980 
meaning the map has been reshifted going forward? Or is this akin to a coach who calls a timeout when the other team's on a run to stall momentum? Is it a is it a stay of execution? Is it something that, looking at the demographic trends of the country, we can't possibly hope to do anything like this again? That's the question for you, Daniel, when we come back. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. More inside politics in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Hunting rhinos into extinction. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Daniel Horowitz is here from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics, post-election edition. So when you look at these demographics, all right, let, let's just look at data for a moment. And uh, and we're, we'll forget ideology. We'll get into the ideolog- ideological aspect of this and a Trump presidency here in a few moments. But in terms of, you know, what messages to get from this, essentially he bled every ounce of turnip out of white rural America that was left to find. And he won four, the four states that put him over the top, he won them by 1.4 points. Texas is going to be closer than it was in 2012. Georgia will be closer than it was in 2012. Arizona will be closer than it was in 2012. Um, I think you see me knocking here, right? Nevada, um, I, think, I think you can take the new Hispanics that, uh, his, that if, 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 if Hillary created a white backlash of progressives, you know, I, I use this analogy on my Facebook wall. Under Obama, the progressives have stretched the rubber band of our constitutional republic to its breaking point, and last night the rubber band snapped back, right? So this was a backlash vote. Well, I think there was a backlash to Trump's antics, and I think you can take those, a lot of those new Hispanics that voted in Nevada and Florida. They're probably lifelong Democrats now. So you start looking at some of these demographic trends. Hillary did better in the suburbs of Philly than, than, than Obama did four years ago. They would, when they're done taking quaaludes in about a week on the other side and they look at this data, they're going to say, probably, Daniel, we will happily trade the suburbs for rural America if that's what the Republicans want to do. So how do we not do that? Because I don't believe this is a demographic model that can be replicated in the future. I don't think this is a change in the map. Um, I, I think that uh, one side had more turnout energy than the other side. And so I think this, though, may give us a chance to change the map, depending on what happens going forward. But I, but I don't believe this is a demographic model that is a winning model for us going forward in the future. But what's your take? You know, this is a case of so many times when you watch a, a football game at a college level, NFL you, you say to yourself after the game, that team did not deserve to win. They tossed every interception, gave up every fumble you could imagine, but the other side never capitalized on it, and you just won a very tactical 13-10 victory, um, low-scoring game. You got over the top. Boy, you can't replicate that again. And the, the thing here is I, I think there, there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides, but number one, you can't 
count on them nominating a fossil from Jurassic Park that is so hated, that has been responsible for Republicans winning so many times before, that has lost primaries before, that was under investigation for the Espionage Act by the FBI in the middle of the election, and that is coming on the heels of eight years of that same party's polarizing radical presidency. Right? I think a lot of people forget the fundamentals. It would have been a miracle in a macro sense for Democrats to win 12 years in a row. That has never happened under these circumstances you know, since the Civil War, since the modern Democrat Party. So if Democrats were to come back with a fresh face – that didn't have these problems, and you use the early voting to replicate – you don't even have to replicate Obama's 2008 model, but somewhere close to the 2012 black turnout. And this is a different ball game. I mean Romney's going uh, uh, – Trump's going to wind up winning these states by 30,000, 50,000 votes. That's razor thin. Now, to be fair, does it mean, oh, we have to fundamentally become liberal? No. It means you, you run on a conservative message. I believe if you would have had the Trump populist appeal through the character and persona of a Mike Pence, he would have won the rural turnout the way he did the white working class, but also kept— Held on to the Romney base in the suburbs? Is that what you're going to yes. say? Yeah. Yes, and I think he would have won Colorado and possibly put Virginia in play, and then that's a different map already. And, and I think, you know, Florida, you're, you're talking about winning Duval County, Jacksonville area um, by a wider margin. You get a little bit more of a buffer zone there. Um, so that's the thing, because this bogeyman of the Hispanic turnout, it's a long term trend, but it didn't materialize in the way um, they said it would. I mean, Trump performed, performed two points better. Um, also, one other thing that I forgot, we, we were saved by the Gary, <laughs> saved by Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson really took away more Democrat votes than I think any libertarian candidate ever did. So that ate away at some of the Latino votes, some of the um, young millennial vote. vote. You know, yeah, yeah. So th- that's what I think, you know, because you look at Arizona and Trump really underperformed. So everyone said that's the Hispanic backlash. But if, if Trump reached par and actually did a little bit better, then how does that explain that? So I think a lot of that has to do with the affluent white suburban voters in Arizona that Trump left on the table. We don't need to lose those. Um, you know, Sean Trendy has a great book about the lost majority, why you can never create a permanent majority in our political system. I mean, you know, because it's a Sean Trendy the top political analyst at Real Clear Politics, for those who don't know. No. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, just, just real intellectually honest guy, great book. And he demonstrates as a push-pull. By you creating certain majority, certain coalitions to create a majority, you're creating a blowback. And I think these views that we have on some of the law and order issues, yeah, you're going to lose some of the minorities, but I think that's sustainable because you don't necessarily have to bleed the white educated voters to sustain these views we're pushing. It's a matter of the of the right packaging. I think we could have our cake and eat it too, and I think if we got in there and implemented some of the policies we wanted, had somewhat of a cool off on immigration, but what, you know was also about liberty and federalism, I think that's how we create this governing majority. So tell me, what is, what is the message that streams these two groups together then? What is it? What's the, what is the ideological message? And is this a presidency capable of conducting that and carrying it out? Not just conducting that message, but carrying it out, governing accordingly. 
all I could say is if Daniel Horowitz became president, here's what I'd say. I, I'd, I'd level before the American people and I'd say, look, you know where I stand. I've written thousands of articles on every issue. You know where I am. I wish all 50 states agreed, agreed with me. And I know sincerely that there's other people on the other side that, that, that wish the opposite. But our founders forged a path to deal with this. That's why we have states. And that's why we need to devolve as much of the internal order outside of the security and sovereignty, national security issues to the states. And if people want to go in a progressive agenda, they have the opportunity to elect people in states where they have those majorities. That is how we peacefully and amicably deal with this. And I think a message like that would be humbling. It would be empowering. And it's as uniting as you can get in the culture we have. What's the economic message? You know, the economic message, I think, in this case, has a lot to do with self-determination. I think there is some of the Brexit um, stuff going on that – and this, I think, also resonates with minority voters. Hey, wait a minute. We don't need to be governed by a far-off land, a far-off city in Washington, or have all these international trade agreements. A big part of the disagreement over trade, more so than even some of the economics, I think that definitely plays a role in some of the mill towns, the Rust Belt. It, it's – what what are all these European Union style agreements? So I th- I think some of it is is the sovereignty message, but I think Obamacare. If Trump steers free from 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 tweeting at three a.m. and he says I will help your families from from not having to pay these high premiums, we will repeal Obamacare, give you choices and competition. That's going to unite as much of a governing majority as you can get. More with Daniel Horowitz here from Conservative Review in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. Back here on Inside Politics on the Steve Dace Show with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. All right, let's get into uh, just some political brass tacks now, Daniel. I, I think there are short-term and long-term goals and challenges here for our side. Let's look at the short-term. I, I think the Republican Party has one year, one year to do some very big things. And I'm talking Obamacare repeal, Dodd-Frank repeal, tax reform, Something for real, for the first time ever, something that really makes Planned Parenthood bleed. Something, not some, we got to, we, we spent $40 million to get rid of one method of partial birth abortion, but it's still legal all over the country, and that's our big win. Not, oh, a, if you, at 3 a.m., if you sneeze on a Friday once a year and the fetus feels pain, you can't kill it. No, 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 no. I, I'm talking not where they do their fake complaining but like they're weeping like hillary supporters were last night i mean they are literally cutting themselves in the streets because we have made them bleed something like that on life something that um uh, supreme court 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 appointees that that essentially give uh, folks like you heart palpitations and uh, and make you bat your eyelashes i think they've got like one year to do these things and here's why i think they've got to show their base right now that has entrusted them, for again, with total control of Washington, that this time they're going to do something meaningful with it and not George, what they did in the George W. Bush years. And then I think they need to bank as many of those big achievements now as they can 
because the other side, just as we did in 10 and in 14, the other side's going to come back here with a vengeance because they still have a lot of demographic numbers across the country on their side. And we're likely going to be politically, if we're just going to be honest about this, we're politically going to be on defense, probably, as as the years of his first term go on. So I think they need to bank some wins right now in 2017. Let me Before I go to the long-term challenge, your thoughts on that? Look, this is basically the gist of my article today, a conservative mandate if you can keep it. That's what this is. We always made the mistake. I remember in 2004, I was, I was in a state of euphoria. Despite all the odds, we won. We won back the Senate, 55 seats, and we pissed it away. We do this every time. And this is not just about Trump. This is the same thing. If Cruz would have won, anyone would have won. We, we, we celebrate, and then we don't do anything. Now is when the real work starts. you got to bank. you got to pick the 60%, 70% issues, but they're not these too clever by half things like you mentioned. They're significant on par with the Scott Walker type of things in Wisconsin. I don't, I don't mean it necessarily has to be labor. Um, I, I actually don't think that's probably a good national issue. But, yeah, Obamacare, gone. Refugee resettlement, gone. That, there is a mandate for that. And then you look at some of the more long-term, whether it's on taxes, whether it's regulatory stuff, um, whether it's in a macro or a specific thing like Dodd-Frank. And, so, so, and, and by the way, there you're, you're uniting the populist and business wings. The regulatory stuff is really where you could fuse the two in, in, in a way that's constitutional, in a way that, that's, that's good for everyone. I, I think that is the the way to demonstrate that this is we, we were first we were fourth and long we got our first down. I I don't it's not like I believe different than what I told you last week that Trump suddenly is different that all these crappy Republicans that got elected and believe me they are they didn't change they are who they are. But this is a huge opportunity. This is a reset button. This is the last chance, and and it's not going to be more than a year. I think they need to show significant progress in the first hundred days on this stuff. Otherwise, we're going to be back to where we were. I think that this is now this is now where I think Trump's ego could be our friend uh, because he doesn't owe, you know, and this was the story guys like you and I were told from his supporters all this time. He's not going to owe anybody anything. Well, he really doesn't. I mean, these party bosses, the McConnells at all. I mean, right now he can roll all these people if he wants. I mean, he can have primary challengers for them all, use the power of the White House and the media to give the name ID to the Matt Bevins of the world they never had when they took them on in 2014. Now I think we actually need him to be the unrestrained King Kong that freaked a lot of us out as a candidate and, and, and not moderate, not, not take the foot off the gas, but do what actually got him that position maybe with just a little bit more decorum, obviously. But, but this is where I think the Republican leadership in Washington hasn't faced somebody like him if he will be that person. What's your take on that? This is where I think this whole you know, pro-Trump, never-Trump thing goes away. It was, a, it was a debate about something in the future. Well, it, it, here's when the rubber meets the road. And, and this is – we all agree. We want it to happen. So let's, let's make it happen. Exactly as he said. I think the two things that Trump needs to do to really gain the trust right away is one, to call to, uh, for Republicans to abolish the lame duck session, pass a budget bill, preclude the need to get, get back there, and then call for new leadership in the House and Senate. Let's start fresh. All right. When we come back, let's talk – and I, I'd be down for that tomorrow, by the way. Um, let's talk long-term with Daniel Horowitz when we come back.
listening to Steve Dace. No other show sounds like him, because no other show would dare. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's take the long-term view now. I get the sense that you think we are further away from the demographic apocalypse than I do, but but I'm also factoring the millennial vote into that. That to me, that's the ultimate demographic f- f- apocalypse. Is that there's a lot more of them than Hispanics and everything else. But but let's meet. See if we can meet somewhere in the middle here. I, I think that that we this gives us some time. I I I think I know you and I both believe this electorate from last night is not replicatable. We have to build a base from last night. We can't run that platform again but we have to to do that we're going to have to figure out who are the right messengers what is the right message we're going to have to take our values into some of these non-white enclaves where they're frankly just not listening to us now i'll say this for trump he did do some of this inner city stuff and it looked contrived and kind of strange and weird and awkward when we were watching it at the time i believe i saw this morning that he won two wards in south philly in Pennsylvania last night. So we have an opening here. It is clear there was Obama fatigue slash Hillary's a criminal and, I'm, and, and, and Obama did, just didn't deliver for me on some level. It's clear that helped in the outcome last night. That means there is a block of persuadable voters out there that we can take our values to. And I think we've got a few years to do that. Otherwise, we might be looking at the demographic Armageddon people like me are fearing. Your take on that from a long-term vantage point, Daniel. Look, if you read my book, Stolen Sovereignty, actually, Chapter 7, I go through the immigration trends. And I agree with you that millennials are a problem, but I would also say it's a redundant manifestation of immigration because a massive percentage of the rising generation is of immigrant descent or immigrants themselves. So um, this is a – this is baked into the cake. Even if we you cool down immigration now, this is baked from the last 20, 30 years and certainly the last 10 years or so. Um, So I I talk about the closing, narrowing window of electoral viability that if we get our foot in there – we can't just focus on, okay, where are you on energy, where are you in taxes, where are you in regulation, healthcare, yada, yada. You've got to look at certain systemic force multipliers that will give us a firewall in the long term so we're never one court decision or one election away from losing our liberty. And that's why – here's where I see the challenge and opportunity. The opportunity is what you saw last night, making state legislatures great again. And I think that would be a great slogan for Donald Trump. Republicans will now, I believe, hold something like 68 of 99 of, of 98 legislative bodies, more than two thirds. Keep in mind, Florida is is hanging by a thread on presidential years, but in off years, it is Republicans have super majorities. Um, most governorships are elected in off years, so that gives us a lot more time with the demographic time bomb. I believe I am a little bit more pessimistic with minority outreach. I believe we have that opportunity, but for example, California, it is gone. I do I, I do not think we will ever get it. You're seeing it's getting worse and worse, and it's because of stupid immigration policies. I mean, I think there's only so much you can bring in so quickly without turning it into the country of origin 
of many of these immigrants. There's nothing bad about that. It's just not America. With that said, we don't have to lose you know, 30, 35 states. I think if we ensure that the power stays with the states, even if we lose national elections, which we will, no matter who wins, if we had our favorite conservative win, we would lose them. You're never going to win for more than 8, 12 years at a time. But we would have durable victories in roughly half the states, and I think that's where this needs to go in a divided country. So I think that's our long-term goal. I think we have to create a message that transcends these demographics. We have to, we have to show people what are we trying to conserve, what makes us conservative. So this brings me to the question that you have been wrestling with, and this is the last thing we'll discuss with you tonight. I mean, you have been adamant. We need a third party. Do you think... Do you still think that after last night's results? Do you think the Republican Party brand is still too damaged to reach these kinds of groups we're talking about? Or would you put pause on, on, on that endeavor and wait and see what the next few years has to say first? You know, my heart of heart and my heart of hearts after so many observations, I, I have such a hard time believing that they could ever do this. But I do believe to the extent we could ever have a Hillary Putin style reset button on the Republican Party, this is being this is being put into our laps. And I think we owe it to ourselves to invest every last you know, every last ounce, every last reservoir of energy to try to make this work one last time. Um, but I believe there's a very good chance it will not, and we will be back to where we are in a year or two from now. So yeah, we I think we do need to hit the pause button on that for now. Um, but that that doesn't mean that we shouldn't build a parallel movement in the states. I'm concerned that we're going to get drunk on this power. Look, we could do anything in Congress. We'll get rid of the filibuster. I think you're going to hear a lot of people say that. There's a lot of merit to it. Um, but but be careful what we wish for because no matter what, the pendulum swings back. And if we don't create that firewall in the states, we're going to be caught on the short end of that stick. And again, I believe that's a message that resonates with people because it's not just – cutting. I want to cut this. I want to cut that program. You know what? I want to return control of that program and the revenue to your community so you could decide what you want to do with it. I think that's something that we're not ceding any principle, but you could actually make it work. And as long as you make it clear that you will not bail out states that uh, you know invest in progressive uh, utopianism and let them rise or fall on their own merits, I think it could work for us. Daniel, it's been a joy. We're going to continue this conversation, obviously, post-election. But, um, you know, in a way, I, I have all the same still reservations that I had. But uh, as I wrote this morning for Conservative Review, I, I'm going to defer. I'm going to defer to the wisdom of the people now. Uh, and, and I'm going to trust just as, they, as, as I was wrong about what was going to happen last night. I'm hoping that they're going to prove me wrong again with what kind of president he's going to be. I think there's a far better chance that he will be who they thought he was if we stand together and give him a chance than if we don't. So that's what I'm going to do. And ultimately, he will rise and fall on his own. And I would love love to be on all these cable TV shows four years from now, uh, staunchly defending him in his reelection campaign because he earned it because of what's happened the last few years than the conversations we've had for the last few months. And I know you agree with me on that. Absolutely. Let's not hope it happens. Let's ensure it happens. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. God bless. Take care. God bless. We'll have some reaction to what you just heard from Daniel Horowitz here in a moment.
You're listening to Steve Dace. We opine, you decide. You're listening to Steve Dace. get some reaction to what we just heard from Daniel Horowitz as we go inside politics. And of course, next hour for Worldview Wednesday, we're going to spend a lot of time assessing where conservatism goes from here. But uh, I'll let you guys spend a few minutes. Tell us what uh, you heard from Daniel that stood out for you. Kim, I'll, I'll start. I'll begin with you. Well, I'm going to go back with what I put on my Facebook wall, which was, you know, a disclosure that I voted third party. I didn't expect Trump to win. Um, and I want to see what he can do. That's where I'm at right now. I want to see what he's going to do. And when you guys were talking about um, what do we want to see long-term, short-term, that type of thing, is it messaging? How do we reach out to urban voters? Because you're looking at the changing demographics and the young people. And I just say what is going to get them um, excited about conservatism is actually results. Those things which they can go, yeah, you know, my standard of living has gone up now. Um, The burdens on my family has gone down. Those are the type of things that, that will cross all demographics and i think they have to be delivered i excuse me i liked uh what i heard it was sober unlike and if i go back to uh wayne that was not if if folks like the uh, conversation we just had are giving donald trump advice if he's actively seeking it that's the only shot if Donald Trump doesn't care to hear that, I, we have seen nothing, nothing to say that he is going to go down the road that will please us, unless it's just by pure accident and he trips into it. So it was it was sober-minded. It was humble where things were gotten wrong, but it is entirely understandable uh, that things uh, were wrong. I'm, I'm proud with the last 24 hours of this show more than I've ever been on before. Based on what you've said, what Daniel said, it has been absolutely honest about the lay of the land. It has been humble in this, in to the degree that never Trump was defeated in some estimation without conceding the reason we were never Trump before. I refuse, refuse to get drunk on the Trump train. And I'm as dedicated as ever to, t- to take out those who are part of the cult as ever before. That cult won by accident, and it is still a road to nowhere if it remains a cult. But you know what is interesting, Aaron? Hmm. You know who we've heard from everybody since last night, except you know who we haven't heard a lot from? The cult. Yeah. You know know what's amazing? You know what's not been in my... and And I am pleasantly surprised. You know what wasn't all over my Twitter feed this morning? Twitter bots. Twitter bots. Pepe the Frog. I haven't really heard from a lot of those people, actually. Yeah, I haven't seen. Much I mean, and, I mean, you even heard, and and you know, Wayne and I are friends, and he's not one of these people. He's more of a Breitbart kind of Republican. But I think when he was on last hour, you heard he was very gracious as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, what's been interesting is I think we might have heard more from the cult had he lost. Now, now that he's won, and now he has to govern, and now it's kind of like. I guess we'll see what he does, right? We caught the car. Now what do we do with it? I hope they know how to drive it. Not the Colts. I mean the people that are going to be in the White House. Hour 3 is next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will ring in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number three underway here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Steve, I just gave that, didn't I? Steve at SteveDace.com. Email address at Steve Day Show on Twitter. Follow or like us on Facebook. There, I said it twice. Let's get to three questions before I say something else. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day. Show. It's that time of night when our producer Aaron gets to ask us anything he'd like about any three things. Provided he answers the same questions himself, there is absolutely nothing off limits. So, Aaron, you're up. Thank you, Steve. Uh, one political question, then a couple of uh, off the wall questions to distract us uh, this evening. Question one Of all of the promises Trump made, which one do you think he and a Republican pro- uh, Congress are most likely to follow through on? And which is one promise you'd personally most like to see him follow through on? I think um, I think Obamacare's toast. Really? I think McConnell even signaled that earlier today. I think Obamacare is toast. Now, they will have to replace it with something. I, I'm not as confident about what they will replace it with. Okay. And, but by the way, I'm not telling you not to be confident. No. I just don't know. No, I okay? But I think Obamacare is toast. I think they will definitely follow through on that. Um, to me, the one that I would like to see them follow through the most on uh, is I want to see Planned Parenthood bleed. I mean, I want to see them bleed. So they promised he he was the first candidate to say we should defund them. And then he went out and said we shouldn't defund them. They do some very great things. I, I, I'd like to see him because to me, that's an 80 percent issue. Mm-hmm. Don't. Uh, there, that's an eighty percent issue, and it's been an eighty percent issue with the American people for most of my lifetime. Don't fund a Planned Parenthood, regardless of their personal feelings on the issue. So, I, I think something that where we actually, Todd, defang the power of, of the, the power our opponents have over us in the government system, like Scott Walker did with the unions. Planned Parenthood is the is is one of the biggest sugar daddies for the left. It's if you go back to my book Rules for Patriots, it's one of the four pillars of the American left of the progressive left. I'd like to see that one collapsed, and and I think that would do that would do a tremendous amount of damage to them. Maybe even something other. Maybe even if we had a meaningful abortion restriction bill, not one of these non-meaningful ones we typically pass completely defunding them on a governmental level would hurt them more because you're hitting them in the wallet. Now they got to go find this they got to find these resources now on their own. 
we saw what it did to the union impact uh, to have to have a political impact on Wisconsin when they when they could no longer essentially tax use the government to tax people to fund their their fund their special interests. What's happened to the Democratic Party in Wisconsin since 2010, Todd? It's on the run. It's collapsed because they've had to go out there and essentially recruit on the power of their ideas. They've lost every election. They lost 2010. They lost the Scott Walker recall. They lost 2014. They lost last night. So I'd like to see something that that takes the tentacles of our political opponents off of the government teat and makes them fend for themselves like Walker did in Wisconsin. I would like to see that, too, but I am not going to hold my breath. And I will pray for it, but I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for a really uh, direct, aggressive stance on abortion. I, I just don't see that happening. I'm not, I didn't say abortion. I'm talking, I, we're not going to fund our enemies. Mm-hmm. No, I, okay. Agreed. Uh, even so, okay. I, I just don't see that happening. There's not going to be pressure from uh, the, the majority of Congress to do that. It's not within him to get that way out of the gate. What I think he's going to do, actually, is we talk, and Daniel's right, the courts are entirely broken, but that's why it's no skin off Donald Trump. He should have tweeted last night in the middle of the night that he was going to uh, nominate somebody for the Supreme Court that makes Scalia look like a leftist, because the courts are still broken. He can put the most conservative person up there. It's still a 5-4 court. He's he, He'll get all the accolades from the people who talked about the courts, the courts, the courts, without it necessarily doing anything substantive in the long term. So it's a cheap way for him to get points right out of the gate. Well, yeah, um, you guys have great, great ideas what you'd want him to do. I mean, I like the idea of defunding Planned Parenthood um, and then the Supreme Court, of course. So I'm going to go a different route and I'm going to go to the economy and I, I want him to immediately tackle the IRS. I, I want to make that easier for people. I want it to be, um, a, you know, lower the, uh, the taxes on everyone, reduce that burden immediately. Yeah, I would say um, the the thing that uh, he's most likely to do, I think, is create some sort of uh, uh, tax relief. I, I think his tax plan had um, had some tax cuts uh, as well. And uh, what he's most likely to do, or what I want him to do, um, aside from defunding Planned Parenthood, maybe number two or number three on the list, is the, the uh, going after the IRS and reducing the tax burden upon the middle class. That makes sense. Uh, all the rigmarole he's had in his career yeah. uh, dealing with that really make I mean really Donald Trump right? is about Donald Trump that hits him where he lives I, I, that makes sense if you have a question you'd like to hear asked on uh, three questions you can email it to Aaron at stevedace.com like Alan Runke who asks if you could have any living person as a dinner guest in your home for an evening who uh, who would it be and who would you invite to share this opportunity Given the occasion, I'm going to say Donald Trump. I was going to say that, too. I'm going to say Donald Trump. And I'm going to make an appeal to him, not on the basis of principle, not on the basis of morality, on the basis of ego, on the basis of brand, that you have an opportunity now to do things that will long outlive how long you remain vertical on this planet, which obviously you're attracted to. That's why you 
That's why you put your name on so many really tall buildings. You, want, you are looking for legacy. You're looking for things that will outlive you. Here are some things you could do that would do that. That would be good for your children and grandchildren, uh, for them to enjoy the fortune, the empire that you're going to pass on to them. Um, that's what I would spend that dinner doing. Todd? I think I would go with uh, Archbishop uh, Chapu from the Diocese of uh, Philadelphia. He is the heart and soul of my estimation of the leadership of uh, the le- what the leadership should like of the Catholic Church. And I would invite many Catholics uh, that I uh, currently attend my parish, not of all, many of who don't share uh, my beliefs uh, in part or in full. And I would have them set all presuppositions aside and just hear the man out about the pure, unfettered gospel and the Catholic Church's standard bearer as a witness to that. I would invite um, Barack Obama, Barack and Michelle, and um, continue to encourage them to unify the country like he talked about um, today when he was uh, made his remarks about um, Hillary Clinton losing and um, the good faith effort that he's going to put forth with regard to the transition of power. And um, and I think that he could go a long way in in helping that. I would probably invite somebody, uh, a theologian or an apologist uh, like Ravi Zacharias, uh, one of the leading theologians and, and apologists, uh, in the world, and I would pick their brain um, maybe once and for all on uh, Christian finding Christian balance in the church uh, between uh, political involvement and uh, actually evangelism. What is a, a good balance to strike, or what they think would be a good balance to uh, to strike? And I, of course, it's going to be different for each culture, and it always, I think, probably changes. But I think that would be an interesting conversation to have with somebody like that. Oh, boy, we're uh, running short on time here. Uh, last question comes from Tim Worley. If MTV was to revive Celebrity Deathmatch, uh, what match would you most want to see? Celebrity Deathmatch, claymation TV show depicting a couple of celebrities duking it out to the death. I thought we'd just watch that. <laughs> <laughs> you win. Yeah, you that win. Win. That answer wins. <laughs> I think that answer wins, uh, wins uh, the show tonight. We'll come back with Worldview Wednesday. Where do we go from here? to Steve Dace. I personally believe elitism, Marxism, atheist, government intervention, secular humanist, liberals and conservatives, materialism, nihilism, U.S. Americans, Christian, globalist, socialist, democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face. Libertarian. Tea Partier. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Dace Show. 
on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. This is your college philosophy class on the radio. And this week, we're going to take a look ahead. Uh, we've got a special guest here with us for uh, for this broadcast, our very own Kim Pearson, who joins us uh, typically on Fridays uh, for the Days Group Roundtable, is here with us. We're going to take a look ahead. Where do we go as conservatives after last night's election results? Now, uh, and, and that's if you're listening to this podcast later on, this is uh, this is obviously airing on a Wednesday. So when we say last night, you might be listening to this later. But for us, it was last night. Now, we had scheduled this conversation in advance of the election. We're probably going to have a different one, though, than all of us were anticipating. So just to sort of kind of set the benchmark of where this is going to go, let's let's go around the room here to start with. Are you more or less enthusiastic about the state of conservatism after last night's results? Or are you uh, nonplussed? Nothing's really changed for you. And, and tell us why. Todd, I'll start with you. Nothing has changed for me at all because the establishment is still the establishment. Donald Trump isn't a conservative. And we've had majorities before that have amounted to less than nothing that have been bullied by the likes of Barack Obama. So th- this is all pure theory. There, There is nothing to believe. We've already got Mitch McConnell. Hey, Mitch McConnell's out there saying oh, we're going to appeal Obamacare. Okay. We'll, we'll see. I'm definitely more excited um, than I was, um, you know, 24 or 36 hours ago, because to me, what we saw on election night was the fact that maybe you can work in the system. Maybe you can uh, in the few years to come because the media has been so damaged. The smart people's credibility is shot. Maybe there is some sort of shot at a platform in the future. So does this do do the results on election night mean that I think um, conservatism is back, baby? Uh, No, but I am more enthusiastic about the possibility of it being back at some point in the future than I was 24, 36, 48 hours ago. Kim? You know, I'm kind of in a holding pattern or else I could say, you know, I'm going to give them some rope. Um, And, you know... it's like a clean slate. Let me see what you're going to do. I don't obviously trust the people that have been in there. And we looked at the cons- um, the Liberty scorecard on some of these guys. I mean, come on. However, having said that, we have leverage. We have um, just now the Senator Center for Medical Progress just put out um, a, a fundraising letter to people and a call to action saying, hey, no excuses now. Come on. Let's defund Planned Parenthood. Let's do this. So I am going to let them do this and then i'll then i'll um, come down hard if they don't let's talk about leverage last night donald trump won catholics by seven points so the trend continues whoever wins catholics wins the presidency with one exception the year george w bush won the electoral college without the popular vote which we may see happen again in this election when all the votes are counted but trump won catholics by seven points that is the largest margin for Republicans since Reagan's landslide in 84 when he won them by nine. Apparently that's what happens when you kind of sue nuns. I'm guessing that creates a backlash. Uh, Trump may end up, when all the votes are counted, doing better with white evangelical voters than any Republican ever. 
there is some leverage there. Yes. For social conservatives. And it's the first real leverage in this process they've had, guys, don't you think? And, and I'll say this is someone that's been involved in organizing uh, and at social conservative candidates and recruiting them and advocating for their, for their candidacies and issues. So I think I can speak with at least some experience and so, therefore some uh, ec, you know, expertise on this. This is the first real leverage social conservatives have had maybe since George W. Bush's reelection. And... And I hope those Christian right leaders, and I don't mean the ones, and even, you know, I'll go ahead and include them because we're wiping the slate clean. Even the ones we thought be clown themselves in this election, I hope they understand that, that with that leverage comes responsibility, though. They're on the hook for him now. Right? So yes. he's, he has to deliver. And one of the things we'll get into a little bit later on is the pressure that is now on the Republican Party to actually deliver. But these social conservative leaders, they have the pressure now, too, don't they? Yeah, They went out there and convinced an unprecedented turnout of Catholics and white evangelicals for Trump. Hey, we're at a breaking point. We're going to see a, we're going to see a deluge of Kim Davis's. If we don't stop this woman, he's going to get rid of the Johnson Amendment. You know, all this better Supreme Court justices. Twenty one percent of the people in the exit polling said that was their number one issue when they voted. That's a massive amount of people. You know who those people are? These Catholics and white evangelicals. That's who it is. And so now I hope these Christian leaders that even the ones that be clown themselves and then the ones who didn't, but they were just serious about their vocation. I hope they understand that they have leverage, but they better use it because their credibility is on the line. If they don't, don't you think, Aaron? Steve, this next two years uh, at a political level, it's going to be chaotic, wouldn't you think? I mean, there's uh, there's going to be so much uh, finger pointing and hand wringing and and uh, there there could be some uh, tectonic shifts. But the unique thing about chaos is that in the midst of chaos, you can step in and you can have some sort of clarion or uh, you know transcendent message that has to happen yesterday this that has to happen five minutes ago if you're serious about getting into the uh some, something has to fill the void because hope and change all of this um emotional language that Bre uh, president obama brought with him that's been destroyed right now and there's a void conservatives have to take advantage of this and what i mean by that is stop using language stop using republican buzzwords fill that void with something that is transcendent and something that speaks to everyone with a conservative message you're right steve but we've had leverage before the simple fact of the matter is we are terrible at it and donald trump is not suddenly a glorious messenger for this particular cause uh, abortion i mean we should we go humming 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 rape incest health and mother we just lose our minds we, we had bags full of baby parts, and we could not parlay that into a victory. We are terrible at this, Steve. But all, all excuses that have been used in the past, they're going to get rid of the filibuster, no. too. So now they won't need 60 votes. All excuses that have been used in the past are now all gone. All We've talked about how this campaign ripped every fig leaf off. Every phony was exposed, right? All of the excuses for why they couldn't do those things, which people like me have spent more time than we can ever redeem in our lives, pointing out the fallacy and, and untrustworthiness and dishonesty of these reasons uh, that we've done over the years on this show and so many others, those are all gone. Those are, those are gone now. They have no excuse. They have all, as Kim pointed out, they have all the leverage. So they're, they're, and they don't even have a straw man. There's nobody to blame right. this time. There's no one to pawn this off on. It's all on them. I mean, he. I mean, so I hope that those Christian leaders understand the amount of leverage they have. He would not be where he is right now without them. He wouldn't have been the nominee. He certainly wouldn't have been president without them.
make him pay up. You're listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. This is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio here on the Salem Radio Network. So we were talking about uh, leverage in terms of the context we're having here now about where do we go from here as a movement after Tuesday night's election results. We talked about the leverage that social conservatives have. What about the leverage Donald Trump has? He owes this system nothing. And one of the chief selling points of many of the people who have disagreed with our Never Trump stance on this program for months was, hey, if this guy gets elected, he's not going to owe anybody anything. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't owe these party bosses. He owes them nothing, less than nothing, as a matter of fact. So to me, he has every incentive to go big or go home, don't you think? Don't you think he has every incentive to do what his base wants him to do? Todd. He has every incentive to go big or go home. But go big to Donald Trump may have nothing to do with going big for conservatives. I I don't think he feels bound. I don't think he would feel bound, does feel bound to anyone uh, in particular, at least that we might think. I mean, there might be other vested interests on the inside that he he feels bound to. Again, I I am going to have to sit back and wait, and I desperately want to be wrong about all of it. But there's not a piece of this puzzle. And we we have the entire lay of the land that is not a piece of this puzzle that I trust and that I would bank any amount of my children's future on. All right, so so Todd is the voice of pessimism here, Kim. Are you going to second that? Uh, or or do you see more optimism here in what President Trump will do than Todd does? You know, I'm, I'm neutral on this. I'm going to have to hold back and, and wait and see. I don't know which Trump is going to come forward. I mean, he was magnanimous when he came out and did his acceptance speech. Um, he even, you know, brought Reince Priebus up, and that was awkward exchange between the two of them. Um, so I'm going to wait and see what he does. I need to preface what I, I, I want to say in response to this um, by just reminding uh, myself and, and everyone that it's very – uh, dangerous sometimes to psychoanalyze, so I hope this doesn't come off as that. But was Trump, when it comes to Trump, was having handfuls and, and maybe even dozens of resorts around the world good enough for him with his name on it? Was having hotels with his name on it good enough for Donald Trump? Was having a celebrity status good enough for Donald Trump? Was running for president and being fairly successful in the primaries good enough for Donald Trump? What makes you think that just being president is going to be good enough for him? See, I'm counting on that. I'm hoping you're right. What, what makes I'm hoping count? that just being president isn't good enough. So I'm going to slap my name and brand all over. I'm count, that's the, see, that's, I think this is the point maybe you guys don't understand that you're I'm trying to You're going full make. legacy. Yes, I'm counting on I hope you're see, correct. See, I, I, I think, I'm counting on his ego. We need it now. Because, uh, guys, 
driven completely by ego like Donald Trump. And I'm saying this from a 23-year-old's perspective, so take this with a grain of salt. I don't want to undercut my own point because I think it's a good one. But guys who are driven by ego, the next thing, the next hill is never good enough. So I think he's going to try to do good and huge and bombastic things. They might be great. They might be terrible. Who the heck knows? I think there's no question he's going to try to do bombastic things. I think what there is a question is whether they will be good things. Okay, there I is. I think that's where the question is. But, but, but I, I think, and I think this is where we come in. I think this is where, I think the more unified we are in creating it as a movement, in creating an environment that will applaud him when he does well and oppose him when he does not. Rather than doing what we did during the George W. Bush years, when it was just, well, we'll let him get away with anything because the Democrats are so bad and we're at war post 9-11, so we have to let him grow government and blow us out of the water and not defend anything we believe in in the process. I, I think we, I, if we learn from that mistake, now we did oppose Bush later on Harriet Myers and amnesty, but that was towards the end of his presidency, and, and by then the die was cast for 06 and 08, what happened in those elections. If we begin from day one, because I agree with Kim, I think leverage is a big word. Donald Trump, the Donald Trump I know, respects strength a lot more than shills. I, I think if we if we create as a movement an environment that essentially is a meritocracy, we we do reward and punishment like we would anybody else we were trying to disciple. I think we can go a long way to making those bombastic things actually good. Am I being naive? Let's discuss that in a moment. to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Dace Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio. All right, so I just asked a question, guys. Am I being naive in, in positing the concept that if we stand united as conservatives, we have a better chance of creating an atmosphere? And what I mean by standing united, again, where we stand united in holding him accountable when he's wrong, enthusiastically supporting him when he's not, that we have a better chance in creating an environment that will have those bombastic things he does be good rather than not. Todd. If we have a real functioning body of active stalwart conservatives, yes. But we don't. And I go back to what we said before about uh, never-Trumpers would say uh, once he gets into office, we'll control him. If you couldn't control him when he was campaign, campaigning, how are you going to control him once he's in office? At best, I think this is like we're going to Vegas with Trump. Just like betting it all on black. That, and hope for the best. As for control, what, what, what? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we need to talk to Kellyanne Conway. Is she the closest thing to somebody who's controlled Trump 
Maybe we need to see what what her secret is. Well, I, whatever it is, her stock. Oh, it did go up. Uh, yeah, skyrockets. Would not accurately <laughs> describe it. It was funny. A year ago at this time, her and I were speaking fairly regularly because she was on Team Cruise as I was. And when I watched her on TV the last few months, I'm like, this is not the lucid, intelligent woman I spent a lot of time on the phone with. I mean, listening to her just sit there and spin incessantly. But this morning, I watched her. I, I, don't, I rarely turn on, you guys know, cable news, but I got up first thing this morning because they hadn't called it for Trump yet by the time I got to bed, officially. So, And Hillary didn't concede last on, on the night before. So I got up this morning and wanted to see if she had conceded and everything. And, and Kellyanne was on with Chris Cuomo on CNN. Articulate, polite, loquacious. I'm like... Hey, guys, America, it's Kellyanne Conway again. She's back. <laughs> She's returned. But um, uh, um, I don't know is the answer. That, it, it is a little bit like you bet it all on black. But you know what a lot of people who are listening to this are going to say to us? We didn't have it. What was our alternative? It was bet it on black or bet it on nothing. At least if we bet it on black, then we can say, I mean, what's, what's one of our frustrations as sports fans, Todd? I mean, when it, when it gets to the end of the game and the team kind of doesn't, I mean, try. Throw the ball in the end zone. See what happens. It likely won't work, but, you know, for every, you know, if you don't try, if Flutie doesn't throw the ball down there, Phelan never catches it, right? That's what the people listening to us are going to say. Todd, you're being too pessimistic. You're right. Nothing you're saying we disagree with, but we had no choice but to bet on black and and play roulette with Trump because the alternative was a corrupt communist for another four years. Yeah, fair enough, and and that's not trying to put any... uh Lipstick on the pig, but maybe while you're talking, I, I, my mind went a little darker. This is like when uh, the Joker is talking to Harvey Two Face in the po- in the hospital, and he says, "You know the thing about chaos? It's fair." So yeah, the flip side of the light side of the coin is a pretty darn dark one. All right, but Kim, again, I I, I find myself now speaking for his supporters because I understand their mindset. Oh, sure. Because because until eight or nine months ago, I was totally in the Breitbart world and in that, uh, and I was on their radio shows. I wrote, I get it. Because I, I agree with them on a lot of stuff. I tell this whole alt-right thing erupted that really disturbed me. But I, I get their mindset. And here's what they're going to say to what Todd just said. We aren't, we're, we're not setting a precedent that they'll take advantage of on the other side. We are the ones responding to the precedent they set. They chose to put an authoritarian in here for four years. They chose to just completely disregard the rule of law and do things by fiat. So we had to go get, pardon the expression, our own son of a gun that was, that, that was ruthless and cunning enough and, and just didn't give a rip enough. And yeah, he's not as smooth and, and, and sly as he does it as Barack Obama, but we needed to go get our own community organizer, if you will, that would, that would, that would write the giant FUs in the sky that he wrote to us for the last four years in order to undo what he did. Isn't that what they're going to say? They are going to say that. And, you know, but integrity demands that we're going to have to hold him accountable. So let's see what he does and um, be right there when and if he messes up. Let's just all concede we have no idea what it will look like despite our best efforts to hold him accountable. Seconded. Yes. I think, all right, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, and I, 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 I completely agree with that analysis. I, I think you're, what you're positing, Steve, that uh, we, we should stand together as in 
keeping him accountable. I think that's the only choice we have right now as conservatives. So I don't really think that there's any other options. At least I can't think of any right now. I mean, what what else are you going to do? Otherwise, if if you don't, then you, um, I mean, there's, there's no telling what he could do. So the best opportunity for us to actually accomplish something conservative, something good, and something um, uh, you know, foundational or reestablish something foundational to American exceptional, uh, exceptionalism is to create this environment. And the only way that I can think of right now is by really being intentional. I know that, you, that word is overused a lot. Really being intentional about creating that environment you're talking about. I think the Republican Party has a year. Um, and, and I think they have a year to do some big, bold things. Because I think when the other side emerges from the stupor they're in, they're going to be fired up to oppose him, particularly since they won the popular vote for the seventh time in the last eight presidential or, or sixth time in the last seven presidential elections. They're, it's going to be the reverse of 2010 and 2014 for us, right, where we were fired up to oppose Obama. They're going to be really fired up and engaged to oppose him. And and I think that's going to put the Republicans on the defensive quite a bit. And not just because they're Republicans who live on the defensive, but because that will be the environment. So I think, Kim, they've got a year. I think they've got about a year to do some big, bold things before they might have to hold on for dear life through the next couple of election cycles. If they don't deliver on those big, bold things, if they do what they did in the George W. Bush years, with those advantages when they had all three houses or all three branches of government. Um, if they do that again, I don't think this party will survive that. I want to get your take on that when we come back, because you have some experience in this on a state legislative level. You were part of a huge wave election, right? And right. know what the pressure will be like inside that caucus room. The closer we get to the next election to say, Hey, we got to kind of tone it down. That is just the reality of this business. So I think they've got a year to deliver on some big promises in 2017 for their base so that they can withstand what's going to come from the other side after that. We'll discuss that here to close it out in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. part of the problem don't bother getting out of the way stay right there and we'll run over you this is steve dace back one final time here tonight on worldview wednesday on the steve dace show powered by conservative review on the salem radio network all right so kim you have some experience you were part of a wave election on a state legislative level a few years ago so you know what the pressure will be like when the other side starts organizing against you and that election is coming up and you're looking at a fired up opposition base, right? Right. After we get past this year, the pressure to moderate and just to stay, stay, stay under the radar, don't do anything that provokes the other side's base, is going to be pretty overwhelming, isn't it? It will be. And that's exactly what they do. And of course, it's always a perpetual election cycle. And so you do have, you know, a very short time to strike. And so... Um, I would even shorten it more than you did. I mean, you said a, a year. I'm saying 100 days. He's going to be, he has to be bold in that first 100 days. People are waiting. A good friend of mine that. who's a GOP consultant said that exact same thing to me today when we talked. He said, Steve, you're too optimistic. We don't have a year. Yeah. We got 100 days. And if this party doesn't deliver some big things in 100 days, yes. we're screwed. Absolutely. I agree. And I've said this a long time ago, but he needs to have a cabinet in place 
and they need to have, it's not just one issue. Obamacare, yes, it needs to be right out there, but then you don't let the left just put all of their guns at one issue. You put out, I mean, God knows we've got how many big issues we need to take. You get at least five of them out there. Yes. And you know what? You're, you're not going to win right away on all of them, but if you get two, three huge issues accomplished and the other two, for whatever reason, have to go by the wayside, that is an amazing batting average, and you force the left to have to make concessions. Otherwise, they, they, they look like the ones that are uh, getting in front of everything. So that, that cabinet is going to be huge, Steve. Yeah, I completely agree. And there is, I mean, I, I think they might recognize that. I mean, let's let's hold out a little bit of hope. I, there was talk the day after the election that uh, on Wednesday that, um, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump were already talking about fast-tracking the repeal of Obamacare. So they might recognize that, Todd, and that might be a good thing. But I, I agree, the sooner the better. You have to dream big, and you have to keep this momentum from the, this uh, just astounding result on election night. You have to keep that going. Otherwise, people are going to get, I mean, we're already jaded. Can we stipulate to that? I think Trump is the reason. I think Trump is the proof that we were already jaded. So you have to do something quick or else, yeah, this this party has no future. You bought yourself, you bought yourself a few extra um, minutes before death if uh, if you don't do anything else. And I think you see that in the headlines we saw the morning after the election. McConnell right away, yes, we have to, we're going to repeal Obamacare almost immediately. Scott Walker urging Republicans to get rid of the filibuster so they can push through an agenda without uh, Chuck Schumer, who's now the face of the Democratic Party. Talk about adding insult to injury. Uh, but So they can avoid Chuck Schumer having to force 60 votes on everything. Um, and I know a lot of conservatives who like the filibuster are going to say, well, that filibuster filibuster is in there to protect us well we're kind of at an existential breaking point right now i mean we're not in a position to be game planning for five years from now right so you have the mandate use it or lose it amen yes amen, amen. john three seventeen. you're listening to steve dace 